Mother Sauvage by Guy de Maupassant, 1850-1893 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson Mother Sauvage Fifteen years had passed since I was at Virelong. I returned there in the autumn to shoot with my friend Serval, who had at last rebuilt his chateau, which the Prussians had destroyed. I loved that district. It is one of those delightful spots which have a sensuous charm for the eyes. You love it with a physical love. We, whom the country enchants, keep tender memories of certain springs, certain woods, certain pools, certain hills seen very often which have stirred us like joyful events sometimes our thoughts turn back to a corner in a forest or the end of a bank or an orchard filled with flowers seen but a single time on some bright day yet remaining in our hearts like the image of certain women met in the street on a spring morning in their light gauzy dresses leaving in soul and body an unsatisfied desire which is not to be forgotten, a feeling that you have just passed by happiness. At Villalong I loved the whole countryside, dotted with little woods and crossed by brooks, which sparkled in the sun and looked like veins carrying blood to the earth. You fished in them for crawfish, trout and eels, divine happiness you could bathe in places and you often found snipe among the high grass which grew along the borders of these small watercourses i was stepping along light as a goat watching my two dogs running ahead of me serval a hundred meters to my right was beating a field of lucerne i turned round by the thicket which forms the boundary of the wood of sandres and i saw a cottage in ruins Suddenly I remembered it as I had seen it the last time in 1869, neat, covered with vines, with chickens before the door. What is sadder than a dead house, with its skeleton standing bare and sinister? I also recalled that inside its doors, after a very tiring day, the good woman had given me a glass of wine to drink, and that Serva had told me the history of its people. The father, an old poacher, had been killed by the gendarme. The son, whom I had once seen, was a tall, dry fellow, who also passed for a fierce slayer of game. People called them Les Savages. Was that a name or a nickname? I called to Serval. He came up with his long strides like a crane. I asked him, what's become of those people? This was his story. When the war was declared, the son Sauvage, who was then thirty-three years old, enlisted, leaving his mother alone in the house. People did not pity the old woman very much because she had money. They knew it. She remained entirely alone in that isolated dwelling, so far from the village, on the edge of the wood. She was not afraid, however, being of the same strain as the menfolk, a hardy old woman, tall and thin, who seldom laughed, and with whom one never jested. The women of the fields laugh but little in any case. That is men's business. 
but they themselves have sad and narrowed hearts, leading a melancholy, gloomy life. The peasants imbibe a little noisy merriment at the tavern, but their helpmates always have grave, stern countenances. The muscles of their faces have never learned emotions of laughter. Mother Sauvage continued her ordinary existence in her cottage, which was soon covered by the snows. She came to the village once a week to get bread and a little meat. Then she returned to her house. As there was talk of wolves, she went out with a gun upon her shoulder, her son's gun, rusty and with the butt warm by the rubbing of the hand. And she was a strange sight, the tall, sauvage, a little bent, going with slow strides over the snow, the muzzle of the piece extending beyond the black headdress, which confined her head and imprisoned her white hair, which no one had ever seen. One day a Prussian force arrived. It was billeted upon the inhabitants, according to the property and resources of each. Four were allocated to the old woman, who was known to be rich. They were four great fellows with fair complexion, blonde beards and blue eyes, who had not grown thin in spite of the fatigue which they had endured already, and who also, though in a conquered country, had remained kind and gentle. Alone with this aged woman, they showed themselves full of consideration, sparing her, as much as they could, all expense and fatigue. They could be seen, all four of them, making their toilet of the well, in their shirt-sleeves, in the grey dawn, splashing with great swishes of water their pink-white northern skin, while la mère sauvage went and came, preparing their soup. They would be seen cleaning the kitchen, rubbing the tiles, splitting wood, peeling potatoes, doing up all the housework like four good sons around their mother. But the old woman thought always of her own son, so tall and thin, with his hooked nose and his brown eyes, and his heavy moustache, which made a roll of black hair upon his lip. She asked every day of each of the soldiers who were installed beside her hearth, Do you know where the French marching regiment number 23 was sent? My boy is in it. They invariably answered, no, we don't know, don't know a thing at all. And understanding her pain and her uneasiness, they who had mothers too, there at home, they rendered her a thousand little services. She loved them well, moreover, her four enemies, since the peasantry have no patriotic hatred that belongs to the upper class alone. The humble, those who pay them most because they are poor and because every new burden crushes them down, those who are killed in masses, who make the true cannons prey because they are so many, those, in fine, who suffer most cruelly the atrocious miseries of war because they are the feeblest and offer least resistance. They hardly understand at all those bellicose ardours, that excitable sense of honour, or those pretended political combinations which in six months exhaust two nations, the conqueror with the conquered. They said in the district, in speaking of the Germans of La Mer Sauvage, there are four who have found a soft place. Now, one morning, when the old woman was alone in the house, she observed, far off on the plain, a man coming towards her dwelling, 
Soon she recognized him. It was the postman to distribute the letters. He gave her a folded paper, and she drew out of her case the spectacles which she used for sewing. Then she read, Madame Sauvage, this letter is to tell you sad news. Your boy Victor was killed yesterday by a shell which almost cut him in two. I was nearby as we stood next each other in the company, and he told me about you and asked me to let you know on the same day if anything happened to him. I took his watch, which was in his pocket, to bring it back to you when the war is done. Césaire Rivo, soldier of the second class, March, Regiment Number 23. The letter was dated three weeks back. She did not cry at all. She remained motionless, so overcome and stupefied that she did not even suffer as yet. She thought, there's Victor killed now. Then little by little the tears came to her eyes, and the sorrow filled her heart. Her thoughts came one by one, dreadful, torturing. She would never kiss him again, her child, her big boy, never again. The gendarmes had killed the father, the Prussians had killed the son. He had been cut in two by a cannonball. She seemed to see the thing, the horrible thing, the head falling, the eyes open, while he chewed the corner of his big moustache, as he always did in moments of anger. What had they done with his body afterward? If they had only let her have her boy back, as they had brought back her husband, with the bullet in the middle of the forehead. But she heard a noise of voices. It was the Prussians returning from the village. She hid her letter very quickly in her pocket, and she received them quietly with her ordinary face, having had time to wipe her eyes. They were laughing, all four, delighted, for they had brought with them a fine rabbit, stolen, doubtless, and they made signs to the old woman that there was to be something good to eat. She set herself to work at once to prepare breakfast, but when it came to killing the rabbit, her heart failed her, and yet it was not the first. One of the soldiers struck it down with a blow of his fist behind the ears. The beast, once dead, she skinned the red body, but the sight of the blood which she was touching and which covered her hands and which she felt cooling and coagulating made her tremble from head to foot, and she kept seeing her big boy cut in two, like this still palpitating animal. She sat down at table with the Prussians, but she could not eat, not even a mouthful. They devoured the rabbit without bothering themselves about her. She looked at them sideways, without speaking, her face so impassive that they perceived nothing. All of a sudden she said, I don't even know your names, and here's a whole month that we've been together. They understood, not without difficulty, what she wanted, and told their names. That was not sufficient. She had them written for her on a paper, with the addresses of their families, and... Resting her spectacles on her great nose, she contemplated that strange handwriting, then folded the sheet and put it in her pocket, on top of the letter which told her of the death of her son. When the meal was ended, she said to the men, I am going to work for you, and she began to carry up hay into the loft where they slept. They were astonished at her taking all this trouble. She explained to them that thus they would not be so cold, 
and they helped her. They heaped the stacks of hay as high as the straw roof, and in that manner they made a sort of great chamber with four walls of fodder, warm and perfumed, where they should sleep splendidly. At dinner one of them was worried to see that La Mère Sauvage still ate nothing. She told him that she had pains in her stomach. Then she kindled a good fire to warm herself, and the four Germans ascended to their lodging-place by the ladder which served them every night for this purpose. As soon as they closed the trap-door, the old woman removed the ladder, then opened the outside door noiselessly, and went back to look for more bundles of straw, with which she filled her kitchen. She went barefoot in the snow, so softly that no sound was heard. From time to time she listened to the sonorous and unequal snoring of the four soldiers, who were fast asleep. When she judged her preparations to be sufficient, she threw one of the bundles into the fireplace, and when it was alight she scattered it over all the others. Then she went outside again and looked. In a few seconds the whole interior of the cottage was illuminated with a brilliant light and became a frightful brazier, a gigantic fiery furnace whose glare streamed out of the narrow window and threw a glittering beam upon the snow. Then a great cry issued from the top of the house. It was a clamour of men shouting heart-rending calls of anguish and of terror. Finally the trap-door having given way, a whirlwind of fire shot up into the loft, pierced the straw roof, rose to the sky like the immense flame of a torch, and all the cottage flared. Nothing more was heard therein but the crackling of the fire, the crackling of the walls, the falling of the rafters. Suddenly the roof fell in, and the burning carcass of the dwelling hurled a great plume of sparks into the air, amid a cloud of smoke. The country, all white, lit up by the fire, shone like a cloth of silver tinted with red. A bell, far off, began to toll. The old Sauvage stood before her ruined dwelling, armed with her gun, her son's gun, for fear one of those men might escape. When she saw that it was ended, she threw her weapon into the brazier. A loud report followed. People were coming, the peasants, the Prussians. They found the woman seated on the trunk of a tree, calm and satisfied. A German officer, but speaking French like a son of France, demanded, Where are your soldiers? She reached her bony arm toward the red heap of fire, which was almost out, and answered with a strong voice, There. They crowded round her. The Prussian asked, How did it take fire? It was I who set it on fire. They did not believe her. They thought that the sudden disaster had made her crazy. While all pressed round and listened, she told the story from beginning to end, from the arrival of the letter to the last shriek of the men who were burned with her house, and never omitted a detail. When she had finished, she drew two pieces of paper from her pocket, and, in order to distinguish them by the last gleams of the fire, she again adjusted her spectacles. Then she said, showing one, That... That is the death of Victor. Showing the other, she added, indicating the red ruins with a bend of the head, 
Here are the names, so that you can write home. She quietly held a sheet of paper out to the officer, who held her by the shoulders, and she continued, You must write how it happened, and you must say to their mothers that it was I who did that, Victoire Simon, La Sauvage. Do not forget. The officer shouted some orders in German. They seized her, they threw her against the walls of her house, still hot. Then twelve men drew quickly up before her at twenty paces. She did not move. She understood. She waited. An order rang out, followed instantly by a long report. A belated shot went off by itself after the others. The old woman did not fall. She sank as though they had cut off her legs. The Prussian officer approached. She was almost cut in two, and in her withered hand she held her letter bathed with blood. My friend Serval added, it was by way of reprisal that the Germans destroyed the chateau of the district which belonged to me. I thought of the mothers of those four fine fellows burned in that house, and of the horrible heroism of that other mother shot against the wall, and I picked up a little stone still blackened by the flames. End of Mother Sauvage Recording by Peter Tomlinson